0: I measured the cost of how much this company had paid out in claims and how much we had paid this company in premiums. And I was like, they have 50% margin on this insurance, you know, and I was going to do it myself. Mm. So I proceeded to, you know, I raised some capital and then I, I proceeded to use most of that capital to set up a captive insurance company. Mm. Big mistake.
1: Hello fellow risk takers and welcome to my worst investment ever. Stories of loss to keep you winning. In our community we know that to win in investing you must take risk but to win big you've got to reduce it. Ladies and gentlemen, I'm on a mission to help 1 million people reduce risk in their lives. To join me, go to myworstinvestmentever.com and sign up for my free weekly become a better investor newsletter where I share how to reduce risk and create, grow and protect your wealth. Fellow risk takers, this is your worst podcast host, Andrew Stotz from A.E. Stotts Academy. And I'm here with featured guest Guillermo Corneo. Guillermo, are you ready to join the mission?
0: Hi, Andrew. Yes, thank you for having me.
1: I'm excited to have you and, you know, learn more about what's going on in your life. And let me introduce you to the audience. Guillermo, the CEO of Rider's Shares, The Airbnb of motorcycles, which he started while attending grad school at UCLA. Prior to that, he worked for GM, Nissan, and Hyundai in analytics roles. He grew up in Peru and enjoys anything that makes your heart race. (laughs) Take a minute, Guillermo, and tell us about the unique value you are bringing to this wonderful world.
0: I mean, I don't know. Me as an individual, I don't. I don't know if I bring a lot of value, but the company I started. The mission was to help more people be able to afford power sports. Mm. And so you think about it, you know, an ATV, a motorcycle is a $20,000 toy. It's very expensive and you don't use it that often. And so it really is something that only really wealthy people can afford, right? Jet skis, mm. that kind of fun. And so we started Riders with a with the goal of, of making power sports more accessible and started with motorcycles because... Is what I'm. I was most familiar with, but you know, we're pretty soon going to do all kinds of power sports, and, and we try to make it as affordable as possible so more people can
1: enjoy them. It's interesting because when I think about my motorcycle days, it culminated in my Harley Davidson Road King I had here in Thailand, and one of the reasons why I eventually sold it was because I just saw it sitting there too much. I didn't get on it as much, and. You know, there was no option for how I could utilize that asset. And so, therefore, eventually it just made sense to get rid of it and let someone else enjoy it. You know, it definitely brought a lot of joy to my life. So, I kind of see where you're coming from with this, you know.
0: Yeah. I mean, that's kind of why I started. I didn't use my bike a lot. I was in my 20s, I was, you know, fairly broke. I'm like, "Eh, instead of buying one, I'm just going to rent five times a year. And that's when I realized that renting one costs $200 a day. And it's like, well, renting is even more expensive than owning. So that's why it took me down this path of basically using my background in subprime risk management and auto industry experience to try to see if I could do it a better way.
1: Mm. Tell us the website. I think I've got the right one here, which is riders share.com.
0: Yes, that is correct. Yep. If you Google Riders Share motorcycles, you'll find it. Yeah
1: it is it and your title here is motorcycle rentals done right so ladies and gentlemen you'll see it. it's just like a you know an airbnb type of thing you choose your city you choose your dates and then i suspect that what you're doing also is as the the platform or the marketplace you know you're bringing in some insurance and other things to try to make sure that it's a secure transaction maybe just just tell us a little bit about how it works
0: yeah, that's correct so People list their motorcycle. We don't own any motorcycles. And then we find vetted riders. We check that they have motorcycle license and all this stuff. We underwrite them and then we connect them to the owner of the motorcycle. And we provide insurance, road assistance for a ratio of the rental, payment processing, you name it, just like Airbnb. Mm. But in the case of Power Sports, I think insurance is a much bigger component, right? Than than with Airbnb. And so that, that I think is Where I made my worst (laughs) investment.
1: So now it's time to share your worst investment ever. And since no one goes into their worst investment thinking it will be, tell us a bit about the circumstances leading up to it and then tell us your story.
0: Yeah. And so we launched in 2018 and the company was growing fantastically. Mm. Like by 20, you know, within the first year, we were booking well over a million dollars in rentals. You know, I was. On top of the world, hover is the right word to describe <laughs> you know how I mm. felt. Like we were we were working with an insurance partner that in hindsight they had given us pretty good rates, mm. but they were providing a terrible service to our customers. And so it was taking like months and months to handle the claims. And then on top of that, I looked at our history of you know accidents and I measured the cost of how much this company had paid out in claims and how much we had paid this company in premiums. And I was like, they have 50% margin on this insurance, you know, and I was going to do it myself. Mm. So I proceeded to, you know, I raised some capital and then I, I proceeded to use most of that capital to set up a captive insurance company. Mm. Big mistake. <laughs> <laughs> So what happened was that uh, well, first of all, it's expensive to set up a car insurance company, and then number two is as the company continued to scale, the more mainstream our website became and the easier it became to use, the more bad actors we attracted. You know, from people that are risk takers to to fraudsters that just are out there trying to steal our motorcycles, and it cost me millions. <laughs> mm-hmm. I thought, you know, because hey, you know, this is exactly I need all this data to be able to create my risk management. And so this is this is perfect. I'm gonna I'm gonna do it better than an insurance company. And I didn't realize how difficult it is to actually collect that data. Like when a claim comes in, it can take months before you handle it, if it's a very difficult one. And so, you know, you think you're doing really well, but really you have this liability that's how to come into your books and you have, you have no idea how much it's going to be. Mm. And so I had way too much high risk and a lot of inexperience on how to handle this situation. So now we have it together. We learn, we have processes, we can manage at risk, and it's now a profit center. But like, if I could do it all over, I would not have self-insured until we had a lot more scale. <laughs>
1: yeah. There's also a lot of regulation, I suspect, but I guess as a captive insurance company, you're not subject to as much regulation or is there just as much regulation there?
0: Yeah, no, we're not nearly, it's not nearly as much as like a proper insurance company. Mm. And that's also what made it attractive. So traditional insurance carriers, they have to use these actuarial tables to predict the risk, right? To be able to explain that regulator, what's going on. We're not discriminating, all this stuff. And we play in a space where you can use machine learning and, and use alternative data sources like, Hey, how far in advance are you looking at a motorcycle and then get a much better prediction than, than an equatorial table. Yeah. So or at least that's what I thought I was doing.
1: <laughs> so how would you describe the lessons that you learned from this?
0: I think the biggest is a lot of young people tend to underestimate experience. And now, now I am super respectful of, of experience of, you know, whenever somebody's talking to me about a different industry, I'm all ears. Mm. I know I know nothing. And whenever I walk into a restaurant and I see how well put together it is and all that stuff, I really admire, you know, I really appreciate how difficult it is to, you know, to even set up a franchise. It's just everything is so difficult, right? And it takes a lot of work and time. Yeah, I'm getting some of naive now.
1: <laughs> mm, mm. Maybe I'll share a few things I take away. I mean, the first thing is, I want to go back to your bio. The last part of it says that you enjoy anything that makes your heart race. How about starting (laughs) two companies? That's, you know, it's like hard enough to run one business. And then you see an opportunity. It's sexy. It seems to come together. And we have something also called overestimation bias where we think that we can accomplish something when in fact, I mean, and anybody can think about overestimation bias when you wake up in the morning and you write down the five things you wanna do today and you get to the end of the day and there's only one that you got done. That's overestimation bias. And I think that that Mm. is a great example in this case of thinking I can do this, we can do this. And the second thing that it's important about that is the idea that you can probably do a lot of things, But the question is, will you exhaust yourself? Will you exhaust your resources? Will you exhaust the faith that your partners, supporters, employees have in you? And that's the thing that I think we don't think about when we jump into something, you know, in this case. The other thing that I would take away is to repeat what you said. I underestimated the value of experience. (laughs) <laughs> now, I know old fogies like me and others that are older than me are kind of annoying when they're telling us, you know, how hard something is or whatever. <laughs> but the fact is, is that there is a lot of value in the experience that someone has had of going through the ups and downs. And we know that there's a lot of value because we talk on this show about the value that each of us have gained from it. And final thing, I'm just going to quote you again on a second thing. And that is, I know, I know nothing. Anything you add to that? <laughs> Anything you would add?
0: Yeah, you know, it's funny. I I try to mentor entrepreneurs. If anyone asks me for help, I always make time for them. Mm. And you know, ninety nine percent of the time, they aren't like I can see that they are unprepared for the industry they're trying to take on. That they're you know they're not experienced enough. They make the same mistake that I made, which is underestimated your competitors. There's a, like there's usually a reason why they don't do it this way or that way, right? Mm. Yeah, I wish I could convey to you know, people tend to go through this startup path and raising capital, how overrated it is. <laughs> but no one listens, right? Because you get bombarded by the media over and over how the successful entrepreneurs and never mind the ninety nine percent that try and ruin their
1: lives. <laughs> well, good news, Guillermo, is that my fellow risk takers on this show listen. And so they are here as well as I am here to learn and grow from, you know, what you've learned. So we appreciate that. So let me ask you, based upon what you learned from this story, you know, let's go back in time and what you continue to learn. What one action would you recommend our listeners take to avoid suffering the same fate?
0: I think, yeah, it's more of like a personal thing, right? Young people... And some older people too tend to overestimate their own skills and abilities mm-hmm. and knowledge. But how do you know how much you don't know, right? And I think what I, my main takeaway is to always work with uh, advisors and ask, you know, connect with more experienced people that have done it before and, and figure out. And, you know, and most executives do it that way, right? It's nothing, it's, there's nothing that I'm saying that is crazy. Notice that anyone, any executive over 50, before they make a decision, they consult with like five experts, right? and And so it's I think that's you know, you need to get an idea of how much you don't know and then try to go plug that hole somehow.
1: I would just add on to that too, you know, when you talk to those experts, the challenge is to listen because I know also plenty of cases of my guests and myself where we went to talk to experts, but we didn't listen very well. So for all the listeners out there, you know, one of the best ways to assure that you listen is to take notes. Every episode while while my guest is talking, I'm clacking away on my keyboard, which is, is a very quiet keyboard, and I'm taking notes to try to make sure that I'm listening to what my guests are saying. And so for the listeners out there, find your advisors, ask them questions and take notes because you can't write and speak at the same time. It's right. terrible
0: advice, man. You cannot write and listen at the same time. I'm sorry, I completely disagree. Yeah. Every professor in college always told me to take notes. If I take notes, I do not retain anything anyone says. You know, I, I listen intently. <laughs>
1: right.
0: Yep. But um to me, it's when you listen and they tell you something and you still overlook it because to me a bigger problem is when you dismiss what someone's trying to tell you. Right. When you look at things through glassy You know rose-colored glasses. It's very difficult to rid of your own biases. So uh, I really like having uh, advisors that are very pushy, Mm -hmm. that are very insistent, that are not afraid to tell it like it is. You know, and uh, some people hate conflict, some people hate having debate and stuff. But what do you think? I'm not one of those. Like I need people. I need to surround myself with people in my team that that are happy to to yell at each other and we figure out a solution, right?
1: Yeah, I guess the, the one thing too, is that as we get older, we realize like there's so much we don't know. And when you start running out of time, when you start getting seriously older and you start realizing there is only so much I can know, there's only so much I can do. Then you really start to understand that I know, I know nothing. And I think maybe that's probably the best thing to come out of this is the idea that try to shift your mind from, I think I know something to, I know I know nothing. Let me ask you, what's a resource <laughs> that you'd recommend for our listeners?
0: A resource for listeners. There's a book named Factfulness. Have you heard of it? What is it called? Factfulness?
1: Factfulness. Yes.
0: You heard of it? You have it.
1: Yes. In fact, there it is. Factfulness.
0: Nice. Hands wrestling. Yep. Yeah.
1: Yep. Tell us about that. Yeah. Why why did you like that book?
0: Because it goes to show you how ignorant people are. <laughs> 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 Even the so called experts, right? Yep. I think one of the things that's crazy about Hans Rosling is that he predicts in that book, you know, years before it happened, that a pandemic that is airborne, you know, would be, would spread really fast and all that stuff. Mm. And he also talks in his book about how Western scientists react to things they don't know with quarantines because they don't know how to, you know, how to deal with it. Mm. And yeah, it's just scary how accurate he got it. You know, like he got the pandemic he got, accru- if he was of the accru- quarantine, it was like, yeah, scary, smart guy. I wish he was still alive.
1: Yeah. In fact, one of the co-authors, Anna Rosling Runling, is episode 632 on My Worst Investment Ever. No way. Oh, yes. Oh, I have to so, check it out. Yes, awesome. check that out for the listeners. Also, I'll have a link in the show notes to the book, a great book. In fact, I gave it to my mom to read and she, she got halfway through it and she was like, wow. So great recommendation out there. All right, last question. What's your number one goal for the next 12 months?
0: I am going to double my company revenues
1: while remaining profitable. That is exciting. That is exciting. Yes, that is like the most awesome thing. All right, listeners, there you have it, another story of loss to keep you winning. Remember, I'm on a mission to help 1 million people reduce risk in their lives. If you've not yet joined that mission, just go to myworstinvestmentever.com and join my free weekly Become a Better Investor newsletter to reduce risk in your life. As we conclude, Guillermo, I wanna thank you again for joining our mission. And on behalf of ASTOTS Academy, I hereby award you alumni status for turning your worst investment ever into your best teaching moment. Do you have any parting words for the audience?
0: Thank you so much.
1: Appreciate you sharing. And that's a wrap on another great story to help us create, grow, and protect our well fellow risk takers. Let's celebrate that today. We added one more person to our mission to help one million people reduce risk in their lives. This is your worst podcast host, Andrew Stott, saying, I'll see you on the upside.